who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Some of you may think a podcast about representation, it's not for me. But if you're a human being, then the podcast Reppin is for you because we all represent something as people. So are you interested in knowing what you have in common with your favorite actors to best-selling authors and leaders in different genres? On Reppin, you'll meet notable people you think you know, You'll see what they show up for, and you'll see what they represent. It's an insightful, feel-good show, hosted by me, Evelyn. So come and take a listen. Reppin is available wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everyone, Creeper here. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we had Colin Trevorrow on the podcast talking about his latest indie movie, Jurassic World. You might have seen it. Now the movie's out, we thought we'd run the whole uncut hour-long interview, spoilers and all. Don't worry, the regular podcast will still come out this Friday as normal. Um, I've got nothing else left to say. Um, love you. Hello, welcome to IGN. I'm Daniel. I'm joined by Colin Trevorrow, um, director of Safety Not Guaranteed, and this little movie. It's a little film. little film we Jurassic did. Jurassic World. Uh, so I was really worried about this interview because I've interviewed people before when I haven't quite liked their movie and I've kind of um, weaved my way out of mm-hmm. it um, and I'm a huge Jurassic Park fan if people listen to the podcast or watch IGN they know like, I'm a huge Jurassic Park fan like I was seven years old when the original movie came out I watched it on an island the island of Jersey in the British Channel and I just like it is the formative cinema going experience of my life it's probably why I'm kind of doing this job which is really weird to be interviewing about this movie and you know Lots of people say it of my generation that, that is their Star Wars, which is hyperbolic because it hasn't had the maybe the you know the lasting cultural impact. But there's something really special about Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. Now you saw it a little bit later in life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Can you talk about when you first saw it and what it kind of meant to you, like your first experience of it? Yeah, and you know it's interesting. I've I have had uh, many people tell me that it was their Star Wars, and I think regardless of what the actual you know, resonances culturally uh, over a long period of time, it's a very personal thing, what that movie was for you that made you maybe not decide you had to be a filmmaker, but that you, you wanted to uh, surround yourself with this new mythology that uh, that you know, Steven Spielberg and George Lucas and uh, Robert Zemeckis and all these these 
people who were working during that particular period of time uh, managed to to introduce it that have lasted for so long. And uh, I, you know, Star Wars was my Star Wars. Uh, I'm I'm older than you. I'm 38, and not that much older. But the, you know, five to seven years can make all the difference yeah. when you're talking about which part of the 80s hit you oh, where you were in your life. Like, exactly, I was seven years yeah. old. I was really into dinosaurs. You were probably into girls. I was into girls. That's exactly right. I was 16. Uh, I was very much into, uh, you know, women in movies uh, in, and and food. I'm not sure which that. I know Scorsese <laughs> always said, like, you know, religion, movies, and, and I can't remember. Maybe food was his third thing or family. Uh, they're, they're much the Trinity, much more legitimate, <laughs> minus women, food, and movies. But uh, with all, you know, women, like relationships and respecting women, not, you know, of course. Um but I, uh, I was, you know, sort of cynical uh, at the time, and and kind of thought I knew uh, how it all worked, and I had everything figured out. And I went to a theater that uh, was near my house. Uh, I grew up in uh, Oakland, California. We have this theater called the Grand Lake, which is most beautiful old movie palace. I feel like there's a lot more of those here, uh, but they're they still show, you know. They're theatrical. They show theater, uh, whereas in America we had these, you know, really amazing movie palaces that have disappeared and have off now. They've either turned into a lot of them are churches, surprisingly, uh, or or malls. And uh, this one still exists, uh, and and I get to go see the movie there in a couple weeks, and I'm so excited. Uh, and it uh, was showing at midnight the night before. My friend was the guy who served the popcorn uh, at the theater, and he called me up and he said, you know, we're going to watch this new movie tonight at midnight. And so I snuck out of my house because I was grounded. Uh, and that, I don't know if that's a British term. Do you get grounded? Yeah, we, you get grounded. Yeah, we've okay. taken a lot from your culture. We okay. now have high school problems. Okay. We didn't have an <laughs> I'm up. sorry about that. Uh, so I, I was grounded from seeing movies. That was the only thing that you could really do to punish me because uh, it's what I loved most. And so I snuck out of the house and I did like the cliche of putting the pillows under the the blankets so you saw my body there. And, and I, I, I did have a driver's license. So I got in the car and like put in neutral, rolled it down the hill and I sat in this theater and it was the first time that I had seen a movie with, with digital sound and they it was this really cavernous space and there were only two people in the whole theater and so you know how when you have a lot of bodies in some place it you know it warms up the sound it absorbs a lot of it and uh, so it was empty and so the sound was just you know shaking the entire building uh, and what it did for me at the time was uh, was something different than what Star Wars or Back to the Future or Raiders of the Lost Ark had done when I was younger. It it showed me how a movie can take you from from being a uh, cynical sixteen year old or even an adult uh, and turn you back into a child. Uh, and so it, it was actually very informative for what I was trying to do here uh, and what I think we've done pretty well, which is is make something that is is very respectful uh, of. Of Jurassic Park and yet is a new movie and feels like an original movie set in that world yeah. uh, and has a lot of very subtle uh, ways of making you feel the way that you did when you watched the first one without repeating the incidents uh, or, or bringing back even all of the characters. Uh, and and that, I wanted to find a way to, to do that in a different way. I feel like, you know, this is a really long answer. That's a good answer. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to keep quiet. Uh, you know, Fan service is something that can immediately uh, become very pandering, uh, yeah. very quickly, and uh, and I didn't even want to consider it fan service because I am a fan. I'm going to naturally do that. Uh, it is it's it's part of of what the mission is, and so to find a way for people like you who probably went into this, you know, 
pretty pretty dubious, pretty doubtful yeah. that this was going to work on any level. To be able to uh, to have an experience that that it sounds like you enjoyed in the way that I was hoping you'd enjoy yeah. it, and that it also I feel like it acknowledges that there's no way you're going to feel the same way about this movie that you did about Jurassic Park. It's just not possible. No, and I think it succeeds in the way that you know I really like Lost World and Jurassic Park three when I saw them, but I feel like they tried to move out and progress the series and I don't think they ever really understood or really worked out because it was really hard to recapture or work out what the magic of the original was because it's Mm -hmm. it's such a well-balanced and um, tight movie. Like, because is it is it the characters per se? I don't think it really is. I think it's more the dynamics between the characters because they try to like bring back Jeff Goldblum's character and then for the third one, Sam Neill's character. So it doesn't really inhere itself into the characters per se. It's mm-hmm. something about the relationships and what's going on. When you started this project, did you go back to the original and not try to like reverse engineer it, but try to like work out what what defines like a Jurassic Park film really? Because mm-hmm. I think Lost World and Jurassic Park Three kind of muddle what that is to a, to an extent. Well, I think The Lost World is a different movie because Steven won't make the same movie twice. Mm. He just is incapable of doing it. And so he wanted to make a different kind of film. And so they made a Lost World movie, you know, and, and uh, or a King Kong movie, you know, mm. however, however you want to look at it. Um, what, I, what I observed um, as a fundamental equation of, of what works uh, in a Jurassic Park movie and why we have an advantage here because we have that equation is you enter a place that uh, that is full of awe and wonder and joy uh, and then that spirit is slowly dismantled over the course of, of you know an hour and a half uh, two hours and uh, Jurassic Park Park 3 and The Lost World both had a different equation, which is you're going to a place that's horribly dangerous, you're probably going to die, and sure enough, that's what happens. Yeah. So there's not really a surprise in that uh, for the characters. Uh, and and I, I think with this, uh, you know, Stephen's idea uh, to have a fully functional park it made it made it very easy uh, to let our imaginations run wild from there because you have that equation. You get to bring... You know, children into this park and see it through their eyes, and and we get to be them, and and the the process of of making sure that the park felt real and tactile, that you could touch it and and live in it, and that the rides. Uh, reminded us of rides that we go on now and, and that you you have that sense of like waiting in endless lines and the kids are complaining and mm. it's hot and it's miserable all of that stuff like make... the park attendant just doing this like as a summer job and he's really like just right. bored of it enjoy the ride yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, and the girl amazing actor who did uh when the Mosasaurus comes out, and you know how casually it was great, great Derek Connolly writing it, where she's like, "Well, you know, let's hope she's still hungry after eating earlier today." <laughs> and it's so mundane. Yeah. Uh, and that stuff, uh, I think, was that's new to this movie, and it's it's part of what uh, I, I hope makes it work is that you're you're recognizing not just uh, the the wish fulfillment of a theme park, but also how you know. The, how very real and at certain times, you know, boring it can be to go to these places. Uh, and then you're like, you know, of course, shocked and horrified. I just want to rewind slightly. Like, you're talking about what you went about doing once you kind of got the role of the gig. <laughs> like, like, how did that happen? Because your first move to safety not guaranteed for $750,000-ish. Yes. And I think it's on Netflix. It's a really good movie, but it's a small movie. Yeah, compared to this. A lot of movies are small compared to this. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you... How, how does that come about going from that movie to this? Can you kind of go into that story? Yeah. Um, so I... I'd actually just come back from here. 
uh, where uh, we had released Safe Not Guaranteed, I'm, I think, in like five theaters. So if, if you saw it in the theater, then I would be shocked. But uh, it is playing on Netflix right yeah. now, which is great. It's not on Netflix in America anymore. They, it was there for a little while. Uh, I'm and sure they can find a way. I'm sure they can find it. Netflix uh, finds a way. It's just it's it's great that people get to discover it because I'm very proud of it and and it uh, it's one of those films that you know you you look back on on filmmakers that become very familiar over time and, and I hope that I have a career uh, you know of longevity that that a lot of the people that I admire and you look back at their first film and they're sloppy and they're messy and and yet you see very clearly a voice in there that you know evolves uh, over time and all of those filmmakers had an advantage that I didn't have. Which is that, you know, Peter Jackson got to make, you know, Dead Alive yeah. and he got to he got to make Heavenly Creatures and he he built, you know, Frighteners, all these movies before he did Lord of the Rings. And I don't know uh, if you know if you'd had him go from uh, this isn't even my Dead Alive, this is the one like one with the puppets. Yeah. Whatever what was the what's uh, the one with the puppets? Remember it's they're all like crazy like, uh, not like sex dead. crazed puppets. No, I I, I can't remember. Yeah, something like yeah. that. Um and, and and our, you know so I guess this is this is that and and you know I, and the first thing I said to Stephen uh, when he when he called me into the room to discuss it and it was it was like it was like that I definitely wasn't uh, seeking out a big movie um, I, I the next movie I'm I was gonna do is actually the movie I'm probably gonna get to do next uh, very small you know under ten million dollar story you met Stephen before that point no no what's no, it like when you no. find that you've got to go effectively kind of have a job interview with Steven Spielberg I, it was intense <laughs> it, it was it was it was for real and uh, I I live in Vermont I live in the east coast of the United States where it uh, is very very cold in the winter and it was February of 2000 13 it was like late february and uh, i remember actually uh sitting on on my chair in my office and i look out onto this you know all of this snow and it was snowing outside and we got this call and uh, it was frank marshall and frank and i talked about it for a while and it went very well and and i had been told like you know you're pretty much one of one like this is this is the choice and they're going to bring you in and and make sure you're not crazy <laughs> and that's, that's you're what like, it is not to suppress it yeah like there's there's not really there wasn't i know that they you know they'd been talking to very people for about a year but by the time it got to me uh it was it was the decision you know barring me completely fucking up uh which is even makes it even more stressful <laughs> that you're like you got this until <laughs> until you don't uh and so I flew I flew out and uh we sat down in the and one of the very first things I said to him uh was look uh you know if this fails uh, then you continue on to be a legend of cinema, <laughs> and I am finished. <laughs> like I will disappear. And he had, and I said all of this to him. You know, he had the privilege of being able to make a long series of original films. You know, Sugarland Express and Duel, uh, and and then Jaws, and, yeah. and 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 he built, uh, and even from there, like built up to something the size of this. I mean, this is this is a massive, massive undertaking, uh, and I felt like, in a certain way, I was being robbed of that. I was being robbed of, uh, and that sounds like a negative, but you know, robbed of that right of a filmmaker to make a bunch of mistakes and learn from those mistakes. Yeah. And it's com- again, it really soon in your career that big film, which you know, a lot of people get, like you say, fourth, fifth film in. Right, yeah. and that's how it should be. Yeah, that's how it should be, and uh, and and it's designed that way for a reason. And and you know we have this, we have an interesting trend right now uh, where this is happening, and I think it's it's probably the result of two things. One is that 
you know, I think Mark uh, Mark Webb showed that it can work. You know, he, he made very, very competent and entertaining uh, Spider-Man movies. And uh, I think all he had to do was show that it isn't a massive disaster, uh, which it wasn't, for, for the studios to say, oh, well, you know, this makes a lot of sense. And I think there's, you know... I don't know what level of of control uh, the other studios have over these younger filmmakers. There's this assumption yeah. uh, that I that I was hired because I am you know easily you know controlled and manipulated uh, by some kind of you know all powerful uh, corporation. Not the not the reality at all. I mean, we are the Navy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I mean, we're we're what this is my director's cut that yeah. we're seeing in a couple weeks, and and the studio was was supportive, you know, the whole time, and and I didn't have them on set over my shoulder, and I wasn't getting notes. I had Steven, and uh, that was a massive, massive privilege. But um, back to the conversation, you know, it was it was something that. I knew I was going to do. I wasn't going to say no, and I never, I never told them that I, I was going to say no uh, until I read the script, and then I I had to go back in and I was like, you guys, you know, if if I I don't understand this movie, uh, and I if I direct it, it's going to be a bad movie because uh, I can't do it. So what state right. was it in? Because obviously it's fourteen years. Well, this year it's fourteen years since Jurassic Part Three, and it's one of those movies that even though it's been in development. We know a lot about it because again, I think it taps into yeah. the fact that even though it's not been one for a while, people are really interested in the series because probably a strong emotional attachment to the original. We know a lot about kind of the various iterations, the John Sales script, and mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um, Joe Johnson saying he's not direct, Sam Neill saying he's coming back, he's not coming back, same with Richard Attenborough. Like, what was the kind of situation it was in when you came on board? I only I read uh, Rick Joff and Amanda Silver's script. Uh, once I read it, uh, they, it was funny. They they brought me in, and uh, there was a whole production office that was up and going, and they were ready. They they were we were shooting like in three or four months, uh, and they you know slid the script across the table. I'd already been hired, and I hadn't read it yet. And they were like, you know, check this out, and then come in tomorrow morning. And I read it, and and uh, and you know, I certainly don't want to. Uh, to make it any kind of like negative about them as writers, just as I would never insult William Monahan, Oscar winner, or John yeah. Sayles, incredible independent filmmaker. Uh, it just wasn't uh, it wasn't anything that I, I knew how to do, and it actually you know it helped define for me that I I really do have a clear voice, and I do have a, a way that I you know I want uh, to make films, and I can't just be plugged in to anything. I'm, I, as a director for hire, I probably uh, won't be that good, uh, and so. I, I had to go back in and say, look, you know, Derek and I uh, can take these three fundamental ideas that were Stevens, uh, which were an open functional park, awesome idea. This idea, you know, raptors not necessarily running through the jungle like that on a motorcycle, but a character who has a relationship with raptors uh, that is somewhat similar to. Uh, Guys who you know stick their heads in the mouths of lions and are trying to train and communicate with them, um, and the idea and, and this guy, uh, this girl actually, that there would be a uh, a dinosaur that would uh, that was bigger and badder than anything before and that would escape and threaten everyone in the park. Um, in that particular script, this dinosaur was claimed. It claimed that it was a real dinosaur that was found. It was found in China, okay. and and that I actually had a big problem with right away because. I didn't want to make up a new dinosaur and tell kids it's real, yeah. uh, because that all of these movies have been based, you know, for better or for worse, in in real paleontology. Yeah. Uh, these were all real dinosaurs, even if from, yeah. 
yeah, even if, even if many of them look different than than we know they would, uh, and so that was that was one of the first things that I said is no, we have to at least say this is you know this is a genetically created hybrid of something if we're going to make up something new, um, and so there was this weird period of time where. Uh, because you know there was a whole production office, because we were moving forward, I went a little rogue and I said, "Look, Stephen, Derek, and I—if uh, you can just put us in a hotel, we're going to go write a new movie that can also be called Jurassic Park 4, uh, and uh, we'll do it very quickly. Uh, and if you like that movie, then I would be happy to, to make that. Uh, and it's—it's it's been. I, I saw it reported that I said, like, you know, I'm not going to do it, and that—that makes it sound very arrogant. It was more like, let me. Let me show you what I can do, yeah. uh, you know, and then what I'll feel good doing. And so in three weeks, we wrote this movie. Uh, started completely from scratch, but but held on to those ideas. And also held on to, you know, what was also already there was the gyrosphere uh, idea. And, you know, that little moment, you know, the gyrosphere uh, getting in between this this girl and the ankylosaurus. It was a different dinosaur at the time, but I love the ankylosaurus. And I yeah. thought that would be a, a cool thing to, to use. Um but all you know, the characters, uh, you know, Claire and and uh, all all of this, you know, Vince D'Onofrio's character, that that storyline, uh, we we wrote something that we felt could very much uh, be ours, and we brought it back in, and Stephen read it, and I remember he like placed his hand on it, and it was he was like this this is Jurassic Park four, mm. like all right, that was like the one day where we were just you know we felt good you know you don't have a lot of days where you get to you know be the kid in the commercial that runs out and like jumps up in the air and it freeze frames Spielberg says he's okay with your script that's kind of one of those days it was a, it was one of those days day. uh, it was a good day and, and let me be clear like he was down and just because it was a complete you know reinvention of it he was down with the reinvention we still worked on that stack of paper for six months yeah. with him uh and it's you know, I haven't gone back and read our original draft. It's very, very similar. Uh, but, the, you know, the last 10 to 15 percent of something is really like all of it, you yeah. know, and, and, and just taking it and making it for something to work on all of the levels of comedy, horror, thriller, adventure, romance, uh, everything that this is. Uh, it, it needs that amount of time. And that was why we postponed the movie uh, is that we handed this into the studio and they saw what we wanted to do and uh, they realized that we were you know we were shooting in like three months and by the time we actually shut it down it was like one month it was crazy it was just crazy but I wasn't the one who could stop it uh, Stephen was the only one who could stop it and and luckily he has that power and he did and the studio supported it and uh, it allowed us uh, to take the script we had which was I think that was like May of 2013 we worked all summer uh, with Stephen, we had those, we had those uh, transcribed story conversations. I'm sure you've read the one with yeah. with him and Kasdan and, and yeah. George. And uh, so I, I remember that that was another one of those days where I got one of those where they sent me the transcription. It said like SS colon and his paragraph CT DC, and, and and that was awesome. That was I was like I have a transcript. <laughs> that was very cool. And talk about <clears throat> the two of the kind of thing most prominent things about the first trailer, the first couple of trailers were um, that shot. Of mm-hmm. him riding with the Raptors and kind of, kind of, um, well, it, from the trailer it looked like he was kind of just working with them in the pen, and then obviously the genetically spliced dinosaur, right? And I think for some people they obviously because the big bold ideas found them quite controversial or new and 
kind of we're unsure about them. Were you kind of wary about like those initial trailers? Because I think like the, particularly the Raptor stuff, I think it plays much better in the context of the film. It seems less kind of oh yeah bizarre well, that, than in the trailer. Yeah, believe me, there really is a a very natural uh, bit of conflict yeah. between a filmmaker wanting an audience to to be brought slowly into a film and to to be eased into accepting an image like that. Yeah. Uh, and so if if in the first trailer suddenly you've got something, I mean, that is bananas. I mean, yeah, that's the thing. Like when bonkers. it happens and they go out of the gates and suddenly it looks like they're in perfect harmony. You're like, of course. Like, yeah. It's very easy to reject it, whereas, right. like I say, without going into spoilers, it plays much better in the film. Well, because we, you know why it's happening. Yeah. Uh, you you have, have built up to a point where you've accepted a lot of other things. Your suspension of disbelief has to be earned. Yeah. Uh, and we've been earning it by the time that happens for an hour and a half. Yeah. Uh, and and I think that especially if you're you know if you're introducing a new you know, every movie has its own logic and if you're introducing a new set of rules uh, to just show people snippets of something without them understanding the set of rules that define the movie is is. Uh, can be challenging for an audience. People think this is just going to be the same thing again. Uh, they don't, you know, Jurassic Park 3 didn't do the kind of numbers that this movie needs to do for us to spend the amount of money we're spending. And we need to show people, you know, they've seen the movie. They know this is different and this is bold. And we want to show people that they're going to have a completely different kind of experience. So we're going to show them this. And I think, you know, my opinion, I think they have shown far more of this movie than I would ever have wanted. Um, I, I was emailing the guys today, and I was like, "Can I just have the credits? Can you not? Can you not spoil the credits at the end? Like, yeah. give me yeah. at least give me that." <laughs> uh, like, likewise, I think the last trailer, I think, it was the most kind of bombastic trailer. It was the most action-oriented trailer. Right. It has the the shot in the aviary of stuff exploding. Yeah, and I think that left me as a um, as a fan of the original. It's like, oh my god, I don't want it to be a shoot 'em up. Yeah, and I probably didn't say this strong enough at the beginning. Like what I loved about the movie and really, really enjoyed it is it, it has isn't. it has all yeah. of, it isn't that at all. It yeah. isn't all at all because the trailers are a kind of acts of deception or you're trying to right. tease out certain elements and to get certain people in through the door and it kind of makes it into this big action movie which is not really at all. There's very few kind of explosions in it whatsoever. Right. And I what I love about the original movie, there's lots <laughs> of like character moments. There's lots yeah. of tender moments, lots of funny moments, which don't really get anywhere near the trailers. There's lots no. of characters in the wilderness, very much like the original, yeah. kind of having character, little character eyes, you know, like Sam Neill in the original movie, like the reluctant parent accepts that responsibility. Mm -hmm. There's stuff like that going on for several of the characters mm -hmm. in the movie. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think for me, the, the way that I was able to unpack it was, you know, th this kind of marketing uh, has, you know, they're able to put the numbers in front of you, has historically been able to get a lot of people into the theater to see the yeah. movie. And I trust that a lot of people seeing the movie will uh, have a, allow a lot of people to call their friends and be like, actually... Uh, it's not like that at all. Uh, it it feels much more like Jurassic Park than we ever thought it would, even though those things are in the movie. Um, and you know, and and also, you know, Jurassic Park is not a genre film. Uh, what genre would you put it in? As a fan, I'm actually curious. What genre? Would I always you say think it of it as. It is that classic kind of mad scientist meets disaster movie, I think. It's kind of, it straddles a couple of things, I think. But a genre is action thriller. Oh, we kind of. So, in a way, this is a 
least comedy, special. action, Aspects horror, horror original, thriller, yeah. romantic yeah. adventure. I mean, it's it's everything. Yeah. And so to put all of that into a trailer, especially the kinds of, of emotional arcs that we have in this movie, uh, are very are very difficult to do. Uh, it does it, it does its own thing, and I saw it happen. You know, even with the clip that they showed, which I, I never thought they should have done, but they showed that clip of Claire and and Owen talking, yeah. and in the context of the movie, it just kind of flows right by, and it's part of the tone. Yeah, you know, but, but when you fill it out of the movie, and obviously yeah. that caused a bit of furore, like obviously yeah, the wing yeah. thing. Like, how did you react to that? Like, uh, I didn't. Um, I you, wasn't was surprised thing because you like with a lot of them because I remember when um, the original trailer came out, it has that head-on shot going into the gates and mm -hmm. you know well that, that know, let's talk about that first because uh, you, you replied know. to that saying that shot's not even in the yeah, movie no it's not and that was something that marketing uh, felt very strongly that uh, they needed to be able to see the park on the other side of the gates and have a very trailery kind of shot. Yeah. Uh, and that was that was one of our first, uh, you know, conflicts. We built a gate, you yeah. know, and we shot the jungle and we, we this thing was all real that we'd done. And you saw the shot in the yeah. movie and it's and there. It's, it's, it's real. Is, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. It's, and it, it's also... It's just, I, I, it's a composed image. Like it, yeah. it, it looks good, and it's not this really flat uh, yeah. kind of thing. And so they, they created this entirely CG shot, which I knew uh, anytime a real fan uh, saw that, it was going to send this subconscious message right away of uh, like this is all going to be fake and shitty. Yeah. Uh, and it did. Uh, and I told them, <laughs> but uh, it, they and they would say back to me, of course. You know what? All those people are gonna go, no matter what. And you can you can argue that that's cynical, but you can also argue that it's true. I think it's kind of true. Like, it's also true. It is true. Like I understand. So much you disagree or rail against it, you understand why these decisions are made because people yeah. like me are gonna go. It's the right. people who don't don't care about Jurassic Park. Right. Or so what's that? What was the internal thinking about Jurassic Park? Because it's very hard for me to get an objective perspective. But where was its kind of? I don't know its cultural like value. It, it you know until In, internally uh, like what was the perception of it as a series it's been away for fourteen years. I, I mean, they they obviously see it as as one of the most recognizable and successful franchises in the history of cinema, which it is, um, and yet one that had diminishing returns uh, financially for the studio, um, and arguably creatively, and they felt that that well honestly like what they felt is we want another Jurassic Park movie. Period, and that's why so many different iterations were attempted, and that's why a version that no one liked uh, was heading into production because they wanted another Jurassic Park movie. And what, what was funny about that that moment in time was we get in there, and, and they're like, "Well, you know, we're hoping that you know they hired me as the 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 indie character guy who was going to yeah. come in, and 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 Colin will, will make sure that the characters are believable." Yeah, you have and, some funny lines and nice moments. <laughs> yeah, and we do that too, yeah, but, but but that's not but enough. Yeah, no, no, you know, that's, that's not cool. enough. And I was like, "No, no, no!" Like we have to, we have to to build, we have to build the whole whole thing. But where we started was, well, here is a giant corporation, you know, Comcast, Universal, who is going to. Uh, do something again, resurrect an idea that probably shouldn't be resurrected because, uh, you know, it, it is, it's just, you know, obviously uh, something that has a high, high rate of, of failure. Uh, and they're going to do it anyway. Why? Because they can make shit tons of money. And why don't we just make a movie about that? 
because that's what Jurassic World oh, is. Oh, basically the language you're using, we want to resurrect a thing and, you know, there's loads of dialogue in the movie that you can read that way. I'm sure it's intentional. And it's, oh, yeah. And it's, of Absolutely. Course it's but all those things like, it needs more teeth, the wow factor, people yeah. get tired. And obviously that's a comment on blockbuster culture in general, every summer getting bigger. And you see that every studio now. You mm-hmm. see it in some of the emails that have got out there. Like people mm-hmm. want not just sequels. Like there's a line in Scream where at the end he says, "You've all, it's all about the sequel these days. Right. But these days it's all about having like a universe, like a shared universe. Right. It's right. like how many things can you cross over and put together? Sure. Like what's good about the original Jurassic Park, and I think maybe this is why it doesn't naturally lead into a sequel, is it's pretty well contained. You end in right. a situation where there's no reason to go back there. No, it's a like, singular experience. Get, it's a Absolutely. singular experience. And I feel like, to some extent, this kind of plays like a singular experience. It was designed that way. Yeah. But obviously, that's a kind of at odds what, with what everyone, maybe like in the studio, wants to happen with it as a franchise. I think what they wanted the most was to have it be identified as a franchise again. Okay. Uh, that was the top priority. Is Can you... Can you Take this and and bring it back into the forefront of people's minds. When they think of what are the big franchises that are out there right now, they're going to say, you know, Avengers, Star Wars, and and then Jurassic Park is in that arena. Yeah, tall order. Yeah. But uh, and I knew the only way to do it was to to create a singular experience that that worked on its own that would give people that same feeling. But all this stuff we're talking about. That was just me and Derek writing a movie about what was going on in our lives yeah. at at the moment yeah. of of okay well they want something they had a bunch of focus groups and they said well you know what would make you uh, tell your friend to go see a Jurassic Park movie and so why don't we just replace uh, the movie with a dinosaur that is a hybrid of of all I mean it's, it's very obvious <laughs> yeah. once you start once you start breaking it down uh, and and hopefully it's it's not too on the nose but it wouldn't be to anyone who's outside of like the room Derek and I were in writing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, it, you know, they say, write what you know, uh, and that's certainly what we were doing. Um, and, and, and even in the context of the and characters. Feel, okay. Sorry, I was going to say, but it also feels like, you know, to continue that reading, it feels like the older sensibility kind of wins out at the end of the day, that you're not universe building, you make a singular experience and you bring in, like, a very classic character at the end. I'm going to go into spoilers here, right. but and we'll save this for later. But, you know, T-Rex, sure. again, saves the day. Yes. And that was, well... There's a moment in the movie where D'Onofrio and Pratt are talking, and they're talking through this fence, uh, and it, it, I, I wrote this little exchange, which to me was uh, every. It, it was the dynamic that existed at the time, which uh, D'Onofrio says, progress always wins, man. And he goes, well, maybe progress should lose for once. And I feel like that's the movie, yeah. is that you know, in the end, we don't destroy a city. You know, we we don't. Uh, it is just a couple people and a couple dinosaurs, yeah. and the stakes are all about what happens to that group. Uh, and I don't. I think in in this in this scenario, you know, progress lost in this movie, and we kind of went back. Um, and the great thing is, is that they're going to win. They're going to make all of their money, and and I want them to. Yeah, I, I really do. And and I feel like talking about it like this suggests that there was some kind of, you know. Bad, there wasn't a bad relationship with the studio in this scenario. I have been spoiled uh, with a relationship that, even though we were having these debates, was always uh, toward a shared goal, uh, and I never had anything forced on me. And the fact—I mean, the fact that I get to say the kind of like anti-corporate. You've been really honest about it, yeah. Yeah, like, that, that's in the movie. I don't even mean just hear you and me, yeah. but you have Jake Johnson going off at the beginning of this movie about how corporations ruin everything and we should call it, you know, Pepsi Storis and Tostito Don. That kind of language in a movie financed by Comcast 
I think that illustrates that they they really let me you know do something that uh, that I believed in that was saying something that I wanted to say, which is pretty brave yeah. uh, of them. If you look elsewhere, what people are doing, particularly the Marvel movies, which I really enjoy, I'm a big comic book fan, and I like what they're doing, but it's almost like adopting like a TV model on the big screen where it's all about the next episode. There's not a singular experience, mm-hmm. and I think that's even more pronounced with like Captain America three is pretty much going to feel like the next Avengers movie, or it's Marvel right. Marvel twelve, right? Because there's so many of the same characters, the same narratives, kind of being furthered on a little bit, whereas this is like you say a singular, relatively singular experience. So yeah, but it's the way what, the tide is. But what's the like? What's the future for Jurassic World? I know you can't get specific. So, yeah. Do you want to be a part of that? I don't. I don't know. I, I think I'll be a. I know I'll be a part of it in some way. Uh, just because Frank and Stephen and I uh, all share a desire for this story to get told around the campfire long after all of us are gone, and I think that. Amblin movies uh, have that right. They've earned that right. Uh, they are as valuable, I think, uh, as fairy tales and myths and fables. Really nice that logo at the beginning of the movie. Wasn't that great? Yeah, that was. That was. I'm very proud of that. <laughs> I'm very, very proud of that. Um, and uh, and you know that, but that's that is the result of something. It's a result of a conversation that has been going on for two years, uh, and and it's not. You know, it's it's. It is Stephen and Frank's company, but I think it was helpful for someone who grew up on Amblin movies to come in and say, why does Pixar and Marvel and uh, Lucasfilm, why do all these brands get to be brands that identify a very certain kind of experience that you're going to get that you know and love? Why isn't Amblin one of those brands? It's every bit as valuable, and it's every bit as much of a guarantee that you're going to get something that, that you love and care about. So... Yeah, let's let's have a new Amblin logo. Let's make this an Amblin movie, and let's yeah, make more Amblin great. movies. Like, because like obviously, that signifies something to me growing up. And mm-hmm. I think recently, segue to because I was going to talk to you about a few other things, but um, Super Eight tried to do that a few years ago. What was that four or five years ago? Mm-hmm. Tried to like recapture some kind of that feeling quite directly, not trying to modernize it, but trying to tap into mm-hmm. that nostalgia. Uh, was, and obviously, JJ is now working on Star Wars. And you said earlier, Star Wars was your Star Wars. Yeah, was, and you were kind of like the rumor mill or stuff that's out there. You were kind of connected with that early on. Was mm-hmm. that true? Uh, it, it was only true. Kind of tangential. You know, it was, and although I was, I remember that very clearly because I was informed of that rumor along with everybody else. Uh, <laughs> it turned out to be true. But I didn't know that it was true at the time, and so I'm just like sitting on my couch in Vermont, and is is about my wife is like so. Um, apparently, like you're being considered to direct Star Wars up, to, and I got oh, like I? really emotional. I'm like, no, you don't say that. You can't just say that. What are you talking about? Uh, and it, that came from, and I think it's been actually been reported. I never, I actually never really wanted to talk about it because it, it sort of, it's, a, it seems like those things should always be, uh, you know, kept behind the scenes. But it came out of a conversation that Brad Bird, who has been a, a friend and a, and a mentor to me uh, ever since Safety Not Guaranteed, uh, that he was having with them about Episode Seven when they were talking to different directors, and he came up with uh, this pretty cockamamie idea that uh, who uses that word uh, but that's the only <laughs> word that I can, <laughs> that I can apply uh, that uh, he really wanted to do Tomorrowland he really wanted to do an original yeah. movie and, and I understand that need and I have it now uh, and I'm going to make some pretty uh, pretty interesting choices after this uh, as far as what I do I don't think it's going to be on the scale of what Tomorrowland was but I, I really do feel that it's important for for uh, filmmakers who who love these kinds of movies, and I do, I don't consider it like one for me, one for them. Like yeah. it's a big one yeah. for me and a small one for yeah. me. Um, 
but he wanted to do an original movie and and based on their schedule at the time it just he wasn't going to be able to do both but what he put forward was well what if Colin uh, Trevorrow comes in and, and preps this movie for me while I'm finishing Tomorrowland and then I'll come in and direct it and then you know I can oversee Colin and he can do eight and you know this can be and, and I had no idea that that conversation was going on and uh Of course, their response was, "Who the fuck is Colin Trevorrow? What are you talking about?" And so none of them, none of them had it. (laughs) What are you talking about? Uh, But what he did do is was introduce them to uh, to my film and to me. And as a result of that, you know, Stephen saw the film and Kathy saw it and Frank saw it, and it just got transferred over to well, you know, what about Colin for for Jurassic Park? So well, nine's open. Directors here, nine's available. Nine is available. But there's also these anthology movies, which I'm really interested about. And Josh Trank originally like just dropped off the second one, right? And they're kind of filling in gaps in like the Star Wars timeline, doing kind of yeah, it's interesting. So, do they? You find those more intriguing in a way? Is I'm it? more. I, I'm. I'm maybe because I'm a Star Wars kid. Like the the the, the Luke Skywalker storyline is something that's very personal to me. So I'm I'm a little more interested uh, in those as a viewer. This is all as yeah, a viewer. Yeah. Uh, the the spinoffs, of course, I'm going to go see, and I'm and I'm excited about it as well. And and you know, I, I haven't I haven't heard a lot about what they're doing uh, with them, but in just seeing, you know, in knowing John Knoll uh, and working with him on this, and and because he's he's executive producing Rogue One, yeah. uh, and seeing the kinds of stories that they're doing. Uh, it's exciting to me because it's it's different than I think uh, from a universe building standpoint than what Marvel is doing. Those characters uh, and stories have all been, you know, they're all pretty familiar for you know sixty years plus uh, to to a lot of people. Whereas the these movies are able to to look at a massive universe and go into it's it's sort of like having a giant Grand yeah. Theft Auto place and you get a new little area that opens up and you get to go and um, I, I I am very excited to see those the Boba Fett. One particularly, I, I'm interested to see how they do that. That's not one that I would be interested in uh, personally, just because I, uh, you know, both I don't know what his what his character is. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, and no, it's, it's like, interesting. That's the thing that's one of them, he's an enduringly enigmatic figure, and it's right. almost like. You want to do that because he's popular. The first time you see him mm-hmm. in the Christmas special, he comes in riding a purple dinosaur, which is pretty cool. <laughs> but but then if you do a whole movie, do you kind of eliminate some of that mystique? But I don't know. I think I think they'll. You know, what's cool is that you get to. Uh, you know, they'll get to build their own new set of rules for that movie. Uh, and and I have a. You know, if if what that does is let us see into. You know, I'm sure there's there's a pretty cool dark underworld of of the Star Wars universe that I've seen in some of the games. Yeah, uh, that I know people would love to see, and I imagine that you know any bounty hunter is gonna gonna exist you know somewhere in that universe. Yeah. Uh, just from the little things. Again, I know nothing. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's me as a fan. Uh, but you know, he represents a window, a doorway into another part of the universe. Yeah, the underbelly. See, what's talked about maybe doing like a series that kind of like Sopranos type kind of gangster series yeah, that was one cool. of the rumours and the cancel Star Wars game 1313 was going to be mm-hmm. set on like the CD underbelly of Coruscant I think that sounds Do you play cool video too games? I, I used to a lot more before GTA, I had kids okay. yeah before I had kids I, I, I played a lot I don't get to as much anymore um but uh, I've got my Xbox One and I love it and and I'm very I saw this crazy looking dinosaur riding game. Did you see that? Yeah, uh, like the yeah, MMO. I can't remember its name. We ran the trailer the day where it's like yeah, yeah. Looks. I mean, it's funny because like that is the very thing that I think everybody is you know fears that our series is going to turn into. And yeah. but then I think I'm sure a lot of people saw it. And went, That's kind of cool. Still want to do it? <laughs> like, yeah, I'd, I would play that in, in heartbeat. 
Um, Do you have a favorite video game? I, you know, my favorite video games uh, are, are weird ones just because they are, are, they're as with all of us, as, as with movies, they're connected to times in our lives. I, uh, I loved uh, Escape from Butcher Bay yeah, uh, when that came out. Uh, Red Dead Redemption, that was the bigger one. That's, that's one, one of my favorite great games of all time. time. Like the endings. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. Um, like little, my, my, the one that I love that, you know, very few people ever played is on the original Xbox. There was this game called Circus Maximus that was like a, a chariot racing game, uh, multiplayer chariot racing game. And, uh, it's just that it's, it's one of those like a time and a place games where I, right when I first moved to Los Angeles, I was living with a couple guys in a house and we got our first Xbox and we were playing this, you know, this game where one guy is driving the chariot and the other guy's on a back, like with a battle axe, like hacking at other people. <laughs> it's incredible. It's like the most exhilarating video game I've ever played and I'm so frustrated Xbox if you're listening uh, <laughs> please like make an Xbox One version of Circus Maximus there you go we'll, yeah. I'll, I'll let them know at E3 in a couple of weeks let them know cool and um, just to finish um, I'm interviewing Chris Pratt and Dallas Bryce Howard this mm-hmm. afternoon is there anything I should ask Chris and is there anything I should ask Bryce Oh God! Uh, you know, I, I feel like you know. You'll. What's fun about both of them is they, and with everybody involved in this movie, is everyone has their own personal relationship with with Jurassic Park. Okay. It's got all these movies, Star Wars. They're like a religion for people, and everyone has. You know, you have a personal relationship with Jesus, and, and only you know it. Like people have a personal relationship with Star Wars, and and those two have a very personal relationship with with Jurassic Park, and and getting. I, I think that will be a, a fascinating podcast in its own right. Because uh, it'll be three of you who are all from the same generation, and and you know their their spirit on set was one that really uh, energized all of us and and drove us because it was like having two twelve year olds who uh, you know were wearing these costumes and like dressing up in dad's clothes and yeah. suddenly realizing. I saw like, a clip of Chris Pratt running and he's just like, you don't know how much fun this is. Yeah. It was, well, his it was outfit fun. is a little bit Muldoon-esque, like, and a bit Alan Grant, and it's. it's a, I, I it, to me, it was like an old, like it was like an old thirties adventure. Yeah. Like, you know, you can high go, adventure, yeah. yeah, like it's a high adventure. Exactly, yeah. that was the look, and and all of those costumes, you know, are are pulled from that thirties high adventure look. Yeah. Uh, it's like how Indiana Jones looks exactly like mm. the the guy in the. You know, there's like posters of yeah. guys from the thirties. Yeah. Like, wait yeah. a minute, it's Indiana yeah. Jones. There's no wonder this room is about Chris Pratt. <laughs> right? Yeah, it looks very similar. And her thing was, you know, I wanted her to be all in white uh, just I mean she is the is that a John Hammond reference or was it I, you know it wasn't else? like people people say that it, it wasn't it was it was that I want I, I brought uh, I brought a picture of like a white egret uh, to our costume designer and then another picture of a white egret like covered in an oil spill and I was like this is what I want to have okay, happen to her uh, <laughs> over the course of this movie and I also think you know her character you know, she's the lead I mean from a narrative standpoint yeah. she's the lead yeah. of the movie and, and she's the one who really changes he's a little bit more like Indy where he's kind of yeah. the same guy at the beginning as he is at the end uh, and the transformation that she goes through uh, and the fact that she you know that she does it in a dress and she does it in heels and it's to me that's a very uh you know, a little bit of romancing the stone in it too, uh, yeah, and, and I we yeah. it was very important to us that she she go through this adventure in what she wore that day, and that she is, you know, she's a woman on an adventure who's just dealing with it uh, as it goes down, and and, and you know, without without any kind of spoiler, like what she does at the end of this movie is something I'm very very proud of, and that's I think awesome. uh, I think I was, uh, I was getting quite emotional. Like yeah, that. I think the fan <laughs> like that's that's the moment when. You know, I, I, I assume that we'll hopefully, if you're a fan, we'll have you at that point, and that's the that's when we're all together and we just get to get to live in it and go back in time as a group and, and be happy. 
Wicked. I think we're going to have to stop. I think we're okay. going for time. Cool. Just one question for myself. You know, um, yeah, yeah. you know when they're running through the visitor centre at the end mm-hmm. and um, he activates the hologram of mm-hmm. the Dolphosaurus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is that original footage from the movie, or is uh, it it's not? Uh, it is. Like it's it's. Uh, it's basically they took the original footage and they were able to like make a 3D. Yeah, I thought it was. Uh, I wasn't sure. Yeah. It's so fleeting. I was like, it would be cool if that is an Easter egg. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. No, it's. I mean, it's, it is a I mean, technically a you know a yeah, CG yeah, version of it, but it is the original. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Well, great. Thank cool. you. Thank you so much for spending right. so much time with us. Absolutely. I really appreciate it. I'm Madigan from Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist, the podcast that explores the world through a personal, intersectional feminist perspective. I bring you two episodes a week. Every Monday, I cover something from a wide variety of topics, covering everything from feminist faves throughout history like Audre Lorde, listener coming out stories, and other hot button topics like toxic masculinity and the Me Too movement as well as plenty feminist history, the good and the controversial. And then every Friday, I bring you a mini What's in the News episode to keep you up to date with everything that's going on today in the world. And with over 580 episodes available to you right now, there's plenty of good stuff to listen to. You can listen to Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to rage on. Bye.